Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Portable Magic Dispenser, a podcast for your school library, public library, whatever. My name is Lucas Maxwell, <clears throat> and today I'm just going to talk about some extra tips if you're new to Dungeons and & Dragons and you want to be a dungeon master, or you want to run it, or you want to help someone run it. These are the things that I've learned, maybe, or that I'm learning. <clears throat> I am not an expert. I've only been doing it three or four years, so it really takes ages to, you know, you never really get a grip of everything, but these are the things, these are tips that I hope you find useful and can help you in the future when you're planning new sessions or running a session in a school. It can be really tricky to run it in a school. I've talked about it before, but um, uh, and I've got a book coming out to help all that shameless self uh, self promotion here. I've got a book called Let's Roll, which is about uh, <laughs> I should know what it's about uh, tabletop role playing and you know running it in your library, school library, public library. It will be out hopefully in in March, February, or March. So <clears throat> coming up soon. Um, so your new DM. Even if you've got a pre-made campaign, which I usually do. So, for instance, um, I ran Storm King's Thunder with students one year. And hugely popular, really good campaign. But you still need to do a lot of work, even if you have a pre-made campaign. When I was brand new, I thought, oh, I've got a book. It's going to tell me step-by-step on what to do with every scenario. Absolutely not. You need to do a lot of work. And that's fine. I I really I love it. So you, you need to. If you don't love it, then maybe you know you can just do your best with it. I guess, or try to find someone who wants to do some work around it. But it, I can't imagine putting this much work into it if you don't enjoy it. So I, I assume if you're listening to this and you want to be a DM, you you do enjoy it. But you essentially you need to build a framework around each session. Um, Try to figure out where your your players are going to go, and then you're never gonna know. Um, I ru- I run a session with some amazing authors and bookish people, um, Ali Fawkes, Alex Dunn, Granny O'Brien. Um, we've had Dave Rudden play, and they are amazing um, people to play Dungeons and Dragons with. And they always surprise me, which is good. It keeps me on my toes. Sometimes I have no idea. Last session we did, they decided to go off on this adventure that I had no preparation for. So that is fine. It's just <clears throat> that's the way it runs as a DM. They may they may decide to do something that you're not expecting, but try to anticipate um, and try to get ready. If you have an idea, okay, they probably are going to go here, and here's an enemy they're going to fight. Have some knowledge of that enemy's statistics and pre-roll their initiative. So all that is is just pre-roll where they're going to be in the combat order. And that's just rolling a 20-sided dice and adding their dexterity bonus. So if you look on their stat sheet, you know, if it's a, I always use goblin. I'm getting tired of using goblins. Let's do something else. If they're if it's going to if they're going to fight a gelatinous cube, there's a there's an original one. Um, look at the gelatinous cube's dexterity, which I'm sure is garbage, but and then find out what where they would be in the in the order because that'll just save you some time. 
Same with places. I like it when I'm, well, I personally, I don't know if players like it, but I like it when I have a description of the place that, that is a bit more than just you are in a cave or you're in a, uh, a tavern or whatever. I like to, I like little touches like, oh, there's a, there was one I did and I, I didn't, this is not my original idea, but there was like a tavern with a, with a helmet on the wall that had been nailed to the wall and people were trying to throw coins into the eye slit, I guess. And you could do that as a little game or something. A little mini game, rolling dexterity. Things like that. It's just little touches <clears throat> that make it, in my opinion, a little bit of fun. Um, you also, the other thing to do is you don't need to, you don't need to solve every situation. Your players should be solving the situations. So you don't need to write out answers to things you need to be creating challenges or the problems so plan around the challenges and try to get them to figure it out um that that leaves room that makes it wide open um otherwise you're kind of shoehorning them in they need to do this solution to move forward or whatever solve the issue no you create a problem and figure out how they solve it they let them figure it out um you can't anticipate every outcome uh, it's completely impossible um, it also makes a ton of work uh, for you um, the other thing is <clears throat> so I had this situation again with the my amazing uh, team um, the, they were in a tricky situation where people were coming to find them they didn't know if they were coming to kill them necessarily, but they didn't like the kind of tone. I guess they were overhearing, and they were asleep in a in a in an inn, and they heard something downstairs. They go downstairs. There's people looking for them. They didn't like it, so they just full on attacked in the middle of this inn in the middle of the night. In reality, I don't know if, if you're listening. You're not listening to this team. I'm sure you're not. But um, uh, there was a diplomatic way out of that, and you should always have as a DM multiple ways out of situations. You shouldn't be shoehorning combat into everything. If it's a drooling, snarling monster in a dungeon, of course, that's probably what's going to happen. But I'm talking when it's human or whatever. Not human, but. Uh, more intelligent creature interaction uh, then there should be multiple ways out of situations um, sneaking past people um, persuading people tricking people um, or let your players of course you know doing things like charming them or casting sleep on them or something of course that would be fine but just have it open in your mind um Again, using a pre-made campaign, in my opinion, is crucial if you're a new dungeon master. You should not be expected to just create things out of your head because it's too much. I think that pre-made campaigns definitely work, and I really recommend Storm King Slender um, if you want a full campaign. It's just really cool and a lot of fun. So um, You can always message me if you need help with that one, if you decide to buy that one. Um my opinion is, or my suggestion, my advice is, if you do, like, say, you do buy Storm King's Thunder, read it. Read it through. Um, once you've read it through, go on. 
drive-through RPG or DMs Guild, create an account and download like a five dollar or five pound whatever guide to it. You get a, you have to buy a guide to the campaign. Um, that's usually what I do because they summarize the main points for you. They clarify the bizarre things sometimes that are written down. They also provide suggested paths that your players can take, and it makes it a lot clearer. Um, but you should know the whole story and the world. You have to you read it. You read it like a book. It's a big book, but you read it. Um, the the modules like the the, the campaigns they do the um, they do the the world building in a sense for you in some ways. Sometimes they don't, but. Um, you you have some things ready for you. Um, get to know your characters' backstories. Have copies of their character sheets. Um, you want to bring in aspects of their background into the into the campaign every once in a while, and I do this as much as I can. With the students, we have um, a player who's village was destroyed by werewolves and they're in this kind of gothic-y horror setting um, and they met a fortune teller and the fortune teller uh, knew about this which I thought was pretty cool um, and then knew and it kind of foretold their possibly untimely demise in a forest due to werewolves so now they're very wary <laughs> and very suspicious and then I knew in this other one that it won a campaign that the players were going to encounter this windmill that had some horrible creatures in it, hags, and therefore I had their backstory that they came across this windmill as a young person and you know escaped with their with their lives. So now later on in the campaign, I threw in imagery of windmills here and there when they were going into houses and things like that. So they were just, every once in a while, just seeing carved imagery of windmills. And it freaked them out a little bit. And then they're trying to get to this town up this hill, and there's this windmill. (laughs) So there we go. And they're approaching it, and there's ravens squawking around them and things like that. So um, it's just a way to make it fun. And uh, there's lots of different things. I won't uh, spoil in case people are listening to this uh, episode. Um, if you're good at improvising, you don't have to prepare, but it's a good idea to review backstories, monster stats, etc. Um, if you, when you're doing like non-player characters or like people that they meet, if you act, you know, weird, etc., it gives them, it gives your players permission to get more involved into their characters without feeling weird about it. So if you do voices, I like to try to do voices. Um, it kind of just says, oh, we're going to be do this and there's not going to be any judgment. If you as a DM feel awkward about doing a voice, I don't anymore. I don't care at all. If people, if the player, like with the students, they'll do voices and stuff. But it, we're in this non-judgmental area I don't, and I don't care what people think anymore so um, I do voices and act ridiculous so it, it's fun 
I really enjoy it. So they're meeting hags, you know, um, they're meeting hags in this windmill and I'm going to talk, I'm talking like a hag, like an old hag. Um, there's different things you can do when you're doing NPCs. Um, I've learned these tips just watching D&D on YouTube and stuff like that. Even if you hunch over, if you're doing it in person, if you speak in a higher voice or a lower voice, you can do an accent if you can. But um, most of my NPCs sound like grizzled veterans of some war. I don't know why, but I try. <laughs> I just... I try to mix it up, but it's hard for me. I'm not a very good um, impressionist. I'm not a very good person with accents, but I'll, I do try. Um, the thing is, if you make up an NPC and they don't interact with them, you can save it for later, so don't worry about that. Um, we'll be back after a quick break. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. So you try you should try to base your NPCs on on a character that you're already familiar with, but adding like twists to it. Um, even if it's like, uh, so what am I trying to do? Um, what am I trying to say? If it's famous, like movie characters or book characters, or people you've heard. Um, so one time in a campaign, <clears throat> this is with adults, the player, the players touched, found this golden skull. This is like something they still talk about a year later. <laughs> they came, we were in a dungeon, it's horrible. It was really tough. And there's this skull resting on this beautiful looking purple pillow. And one of the players touched it, and it floated up and began to speak. They assumed they had to kill it, and they didn't have to kill it. All it was, all the book said, this is what the book said. The The skull is the, the skull of a, like a court jester from a thousand years ago. He follows the party around using dry humor and will not leave them alone until they feed him 10,000 gold. And I was like, what? feed it 10,000 gold. I didn't understand what that meant. So, I mean, I understand what it meant, but my players did not have that much money on them. They had a lot of money, but they had it in a bank 200 miles away. Um, so I, I didn't make that happen, but I made it I made it so they had to feed it a few magic items. <laughs> but why they still talk about it is that I did I did a Rodney Dangerfield voice. You can Google if you don't know who that is. Some an old man. He's an he's an old American comedian. Um, didn't never got his due really. He never got. He, he had some popularity, but he has a very specific cadence and a very specific voice. And I did D and D style jokes. You know, it said dry humor. They're trying to sneak around a dungeon. Here's this skull 
floating around yelling out horrible jokes and it they were they didn't know what to do to it so they couldn't kill it so they they did eventually figure out they had to feed it magical items <laughs> to make it disappear but um when you create an npc you have to figure out what's their motivation and that guy's that thing's motivation was simply to annoy and attract other monsters and just be a complete nuisance and it did create a lot of issues that one player was so kind of distracted and annoyed i think in real life with me but <laughs> it was fine um he stepped on a trap and said awful kinds of stuff and um um you know they can do anything if you're describing what they're doing it can help them bring to life you know um what did i do you know just describing how they look if they look sad or if they're they're fiddling with a necklace or if they're um picking their teeth with a toothpick or something like that just anything like that try to make them unique and not every single npc has to be unique and important to the story that's the other thing i think all of my players sometimes think sometimes my players think or our players the players think that every npc is some sort of major part of the plot and they're they're not really sometimes i just make them up on the spot and they end up being parts of the story later on. <laughs> but um, you, it's impossible to know who your players are going to become attached to or who they're just going to be annoyed with or not um, not care about. <laughs> um, um, and I would say don't worry if, if you're a new DM. Don't worry if your first session goes wrong. I mean, my first session was without any prep because the dm became very ill and just quit on us um actually quit on us i shouldn't say that but had to quit and i was desperate to keep the game going so i took over and started a new campaign without any prep and it was it was you know awful i'm sure but um um you don't need to worry about about that really um yeah i would say just try to keep the game as open as possible without shoehorning. Um, so, and make it as fun as possible. Don't make it all combat. You need to work out with your players what kind of game they want. Um, you should determine what the DC of a skill check bef is before you have your players roll, rather than making it up. Um, and what that is is just difficulty class. So they, I, I always use this example. They want to jump across a chasm. You know, uh, they need to roll an athletics check. They need to roll five if it's, if it's easy. Ten if it's five is if it's very easy. Ten if it's easy. Fifteen moderate. Twenty difficult. Twenty five very difficult. Thirty nearly impossible. So if you think of this is like a twelve, you know, in between easy and moderate, you know. Uh, there you go. Um, you, there are some dungeon masters who will say never fudge a roll. That means if you roll behind your screen and you want uh, you want, really wanted a different result, um, or you don't want to kill off a character, and you have because of your rolls, um, it's up to you. Some say, some will say it's okay to fudge rolls if you if it's making a better experience for the players. Um, you need to find out what works for you and run with it. I I don't care. I I have in the past done it a few times, but 
I like to keep the roles as they are. Um, the biggest thing to remember is that you are the player too. So you are not some sort of ogre who is there to make this a living hell for your players. Your job is to work with them. Your job is to um, challenge them. But again, I'll come back to this again. Your job really is to make an experience that they'll remember. Um, If you're constantly making them fight things and they don't enjoy that, if you're constantly saying, no, you can't do that, you're not making a session enjoyable for them you're probably annoyed that they haven't followed the script that you have in your head and that's not what D&D is about um, always say you can try always say yes um, the old um, improv adage uh, yes and um, never deny a possibility if they want to I had a so I've done this one before but I'll say it again because it's been a while we had students who, um, they were in a bad spot. They were in this temple, and a giant ball came rolling down the um, the corridor, like Indiana Jones style. On top of that, these barbarians had come in from the side entrance and were shooting arrows at them. So the rogue had been up on a ledge anyway when this ball came out of the wall and was crushing his teammates his friends um he wanted to run along the ball you know like um some sort of cartoon character like running on this running on this moving giant boulder somersault and drop kick in the face one of the barbarians and then slash at him with his sword i I mean, that to me, that's a movement and an attack. He had enough movement. He was a rogue. I was like, look, you can do it. You're going to try this, but the the DC, the roll you need, is going to be extremely high. <laughs> he rolled a natural 20, so he was able to do his little dance roll on the thing, do his backflip or a somersault off. He landed... He had to do another roll. I wanted. To, I made him do another roll, I think, for his landing. Maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I just thought it would be funny. He rolled like a 19. Then he did his attack as he landed, and he rolled another natural 20. And they were screaming in the library. So I made, I let him, you know, he did this huge amount of damage. He killed this thing. wasn't that hard, but that's the kind of thing that they still remember and made fun. If I had said... um. You know, of course you can't jump on this ball. It's not feasible or no, you're not going to do that just because I didn't have it in my head or I didn't like it. Um, it would have ruined that whole thing. So, you know, speaking to your players, listening to your players, let them come up with ideas that they've never thought of um, is essential, really. So um, I just think that there are ways that you can those are some of the ways you can kind of enhance your session um I would say if you are able to send your players notes afterwards like notes on them what happened not notes on like how to improve but notes on what happened in the campaign they may enjoy that I think ours do um 
I always try to get our students to draw their characters if they want to, or even like some sort of image. Um, I always put if when I do online, I always add sounds. Um, I also um, like to use maps in real life, um, just to give them an idea. Even if they don't use minis, just to give them an idea of what you've got. Okay. Um, I think it's a lot of fun, and being a DM is extreme, can be stressful, but it should be fun. It will be fun after a certain point, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I hope those tips are useful, and I hope you start a D&D &D club in your library if you haven't already. All right. Thanks so much. Bye.